next week, Dan. Return of the Akrons. I think it's the Archons. <laughs> it's like Return of the People from Akron, Ohio. <laughs> I mean, you could pronounce it Archons, the Return of the Archons. Yeah, Dana, but what the fuck do I know? <laughs> Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. My name is Dana Smith, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Dan Calzaretta. Hey, Dan. How are you tonight? Dana, doing great. Had a great Thanksgiving. We had a lot of company here, had a lot of good food, drank a lot of good beer, played a lot of fun games, and now everyone is gone and the house is very, very quiet. Yeah, we had a great time. How about you for Thanksgiving? Uh, what did you guys do and did you have a good time? Oh, yeah, I had a great time. was with uh, my wife's family. Brother-in-law made the turkey. Everybody brought dishes. It was really tasty. Didn't have anything that was bad, anything I spit back out of my plate. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was uh, all wonderful. Okay. Do you want to get on to the, uh, the episode? Actually, we need to talk about our Thanksgiving holiday special. Yeah. Let's talk about that. I, I understand that you got some responses to that. Got a couple of emails. Uh, one was our, our good friend, Bob from Chicago, said he loves what we're doing and to keep it up. Uh, he laughs uh, very hard at uh, at the show, and sometimes I think he even laughs at things that are supposed to be funny. <laughs> That's a plus. We did have a lot of uh, messages through Facebook. Here's a list of some of the comments that we got. And oh again, boy, I can I can't wait for this, Dana. <laughs> all positive. Oh, uh, okay. Keep it going with an exclamation mark. Mm. Uh, thanks for your work. Well, work, that's kind of a generous term, but okay. <laughs> You've made this a lot of fun. Oh, and I that's like somebody that. who didn't really pay attention to Star Trek before they started listening to us. Oh, great. Why won't Dan try Jägermeister? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you've been listening, the answer is hopefully painfully obvious and I emphasize painful. It was funny because this followed up pretty closely was, what is Jägermeister? Oh my. <laughs> so uh, one person wished us a very great Thanksgiving and they were thankful for their show. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And it was nobody that was related to us, which is even better. You guys rock. Mm -hmm. You're making me laugh. Oh. And the last one that I saw that I put in here, uh, my wife and I love your show. Keep going. Oh, wow. That's that's all really positive. And you got a message as well, right? Yeah. A former neighbor of mine uh, owns a framing shop here in Walla Walla. And one of her customers came in and she suggested that he listen to the show. When he came in to pick up whatever he was having framed, he said, I binged all the episodes and now I've got to wait every week for the new episode. So I thought that was kind of nice. We definitely know how to keep people on the edge of their seats and uh, <laughs> waiting. So Yeah, on the edge of their seat, as in I'm trying to run away as quickly as possible. <laughs> but I got to listen to see what stupid thing they're going to say next. Yeah, so. <laughs> I think that's it. Yeah. That's really great, though. The more we do these shows, the more we're hearing from people. And I, I do appreciate that. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of big time Star Trek fans out there. When I uh, belong to eight or nine Star Trek groups on Facebook, and uh, it's uh, it's pretty amazing the depth that these people have uh, when it relates to the show. And the passion, right? Yeah. Uh, the other thing is my son, who is home for Thanksgiving, Sonny is his name, 26 years old, said that that age group, like the mid-20s, is getting back into the original series, which I found interesting. Is it because of us? It has to be, Dana. It has to be because of us. <laughs> well, they're, they're the biggest group that listens to podcasts. I'm sure that most of the 26-year-olds have stumbled across our podcast, and that's where they're all getting back into the show. I hope so. I really do hope so, yeah. <laughs> 
This is Court Martial, which is the 20th episode of the first season. We see the Enterprise, and Kirk says that they've passed through an ion storm, and one crewman is dead. They've pulled into Starbase 11 for repairs. Full report of the damages uh, was made to the commanding officer of Starbase 11, Commodore Stone. Yeah, I really liked uh, this actor, by the way. I was reading about Percy Rodriguez, who plays Commodore Stone. He has such a great voice. When uh, the Jaws movie was released, he was the narrator for the the commercial. And one thing I noticed about him, and if our, I don't know if our listeners watch the show, do they watch it before we watch it? Do they watch it after? I'm not sure kind of how people do this, but if you go back and look at that episode, he doesn't blink ever in the entire episode. Not once. That's kind of creepy, actually. It is a little creepy, yeah, a... but he does not blink once. How do you do that? That's a, a different kind of intensity. I blinked already seven times in this last three seconds, I think. In fact, I might just have to close my eyes completely, just like our <laughs> listeners as they fall asleep listening to this <laughs> slightly off-topic ramble. <laughs> Kirk is in the Commodore's office, and he's going over a copy of his sworn deposition of the events that led to the death of records officer Benjamin Finney. Kirk explains that he did wait for the last possible moment, but with the ship on red alert, the ion storm got worse. Kirk had to eject the ion pod containing Finney, sending him to his death. Now, they never really explain what this pod is and why someone would need to be in it, do they? I have a lot of issues with the ion pod. Yeah. And uh, let's save that for the end of the conversation. Okay, good. Yeah, but it, you're, I, I agree with you there. Stone is reviewing the computer desk. Jamie Finney, Jamie spelled J-A-M-E, Finney. Yeah, uh, weird. Daughter of uh, Lieutenant Finney enters and names Kirk as the man who killed my father. She shrieks at him and breaks down into tears. Yeah, ho- hold on, hold on. I gotta talk <laughs> about this Jamie Finney, okay? Please. Well, first off, I thought this episode was really good in many ways, but my God, did she annoy me. First, she was dressed like a freaking Oompa Loompa. I mean, that weird, like, dress thing she had on. And she was annoying. I was thinking, put her in the freaking ion pod and send her out. She just annoyed the crap out of me. Second... Jame, Jamie, what, what's going on with the name? I mean, I know that Kirk says, oh, you know, uh, Finney was my best friend. He named his daughter after me. Yeah, could you have named the poodle after me or something? Yeah, Yeah. it's just... uh... And what happened to Mrs. Finney? But it's implied that she's dead, right? Yeah. I've got a theory. Would you, hold on. Got to get the ramble, Char. (laughs) This may, this may be a ramble. I'm not quite sure. You, you judge, Dana, if this is a ramble. Okay. I'll, I'll say a sentence Just and you say, yeah. you say yes, ramble, no ramble. Okay. 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 Lieutenant Finney, was he a lieutenant? It doesn't matter. Finney was a friend of Kirk's. Ramble or no ramble? No ramble. Okay. So far. Uh, so far. Okay. Finney had a daughter named Jamie. They named Jamie after Jim Kirk because Finney and Jim Kirk were very close friends. No ramble. Keep going. Okay. Jamie is the love child of Kirk and Mrs. Finney. <laughs> I think Kirk would have had better looking daughter. Yeah, I mean, just, <laughs> oh my gosh, she, yeah, she was probably, yeah. she was she was cute in a kind of homely way. You know, I mean, <laughs> in a kind of an oompa loompa way. <laughs> she would look maybe look better if she was blue. So I I think 
This is my, I really believe this, uh, and I just made this up now as we're talking about it. I think Jamie was the love child of James T. Kirk and Mrs. Finney. We don't know her name. We could make one up, but why? Kirk did get around. But I think we're I think we're in agreement that Jamie Finney sucks. Totally sucks. Yeah, not my favorite character. So Commodore Stone has had time now to look at the files, and uh, he accuses Kirk of committing willful perjury. The computer record shows that Kirk ejected the pod before placing the ship on red alert. Stone orders Kirk to remain on Starbase 11 for an official inquiry to determine whether or not a general court-martial is in order. So uh, on the Starbase, we see uh, Kirk and McCoy enter a bar, and there's several officers in there from Kirk's graduating class. He goes through and names them by name, and they all kind of eye Kirk Cooley. In that bar, there is a definite feeling where people are turning their backs on Kirk. They don't want to. They don't really want to be seen talking to him because the rumor mill has started. Right? He yeah, he is responsible for Finney's death. That's the whole purpose of that scene, I think, and yeah. uh, and to show that he's kind of on his own. And and, you know, of course, uh, McCoy gets a drink right away. And uh, before Kirk can, I think, even sample a drink, he walks out of the bar to avoid getting in a fight. So he walks out, he bumps into another officer, and we see this woman entering from the other side. And this is Ariel Shaw. But Kirk doesn't see her because he bumps into this guy. As she saw him. But he didn't okay. see her. Of course, McCoy sees her and uh, he gets up and uh, introduces himself. McCoy states uh, that was Captain James T. Kirk. She says, uh, yes, I recognized him. And uh, McCoy introduces himself as one of the last of his friends in these trying times. She says she's an old friend of Kirk. And uh, we all know what that means. Yes, we do. <laughs> and uh, McCoy says, all of my old friends look like doctors. All of his look like you. <laughs> it's a good line. Which, that, that was a good oh, line. Oh, yeah. So McCoy suggests that she joins him for a drink as Kirk will need all the friends he can get. Mm -hmm. So we go back to Stone's office and he's conducting the inquiry uh, regarding Finney's death. And in the office, it's just Commander Stone and Kirk, right? Yes. And they talk about the fact that uh, Kirk was uh, good friends with uh, Finney and they were both assigned to the USS Republic. While they were on duty, Finney had left a circuit open to the atomic matter piles? Or was it files? I, no, I, it was I, piles. No, it was, I listened to it a couple of times. I thought he said piles. Yeah. I mean, I've had an atomic pile a few times, <laughs> but um, usually because I had some spicy food. Uh, but no, it was the atomic piles for sure. And that the circuit should have been closed. In another five minutes, Kirk uh, reports, the Republic could have self-destructed with all hands. Kirk had logged the incident, and forever after that, because Finney was reprimanded for it uh, and added to his record, he blamed Kirk for his lack of advancement in Starfleet. So then they start talking about the ion storm, and Kirk says he chose Finney to occupy the ion pod solely because he was next on the duty roster. Finney entered the pod just before the Enterprise reached the leading edge of the storm. Kirk signaled yellow alert. So, so it was yellow alert to begin with, but and then he yeah. sends Finney into the pod for reasons we don't still don't understand to take readings. We're assuming, but he yeah. tells Finney, you know, hurry up because I might have to go to red alert, and if I do, then I gotta eject the pod. Yeah. Exactly. And then uh, he alerted Finney to exit the pod. Kirk said he delayed even longer before finally ejecting the pod. Stone reminds Kirk that the logs show he ejected the pod before signaling red alert. 
Kirk cannot explain that, but says it is next to impossible that the computer is wrong. So Commodore Stone stops the recording and suggests perhaps stress and time as a commanding officer on the Enterprise have worn Kirk down. Uh, you made a mistake. And Kirk takes exception to Stone's comment. And then uh, Stone tries to placate him and says, uh, if you report uh, that this was an accident, I'll lead to ground assignment. If Kirk doesn't admit responsibility, Stone says it would smear Starfleet if a starship captain were to be court-martialed. Stone at this point, Dana, is like trying to help Kirk, but really his main goal is to save Starfleet from getting a black eye, but he's kind of throwing a lifeline to Kirk and saying, look, here's the evidence. The computer says it. You've admitted that the computer says this is what happened. You say it didn't happen that way. Maybe you were stressed out. Let's just give you a ground assignment. We'll make this all go away. Yeah, and uh, Kirk even says... So that's the way we do it now. Sweep it under the rug and me along with it. on your I intend to fight. Then you draw a general court. Draw it? I demand it. And right now, Commodore Stone, right now. Kirk is basically saying that I know what I did and I don't care what the computer says. Yeah, exactly. And again, during this, this is a pretty tense scene. We've got a lot of close-ups on Kirk. We've got a lot of close-ups on Commander Stone. Once again, Stone does not blink at all during any of this, which I, again, I don't know why I find that so fascinating that the actor wouldn't blink, but he doesn't blink. Maybe he couldn't blink. Do you think there's Maybe. any kind of like medical condition where people can't blink? I don't know. A, a blink of a, a, I don't know. You're to a doctor once you run upstairs and ask her this yeah, I don't, question. Uh, yeah, I, because <laughs> uh, two things. One, I'd have to run upstairs. And number two, <laughs> I have Google right here. So I'm going to ask Google. It's the Mobius syndrome. It's a rare neurological condition that primarily affects the muscles that control facial expression and eye movement. Yeah, so apparently there is a thing. Have you ever had a baby that just stares at you and doesn't blink? Uh, no. I mean, my dog does it, which is weird. <laughs> I've tried to teach my dog to blink. Have you ever done, like, you've got some pets. Have you ever tried to teach your pet to wink? Uh, never even considered it. Yeah, no, I thought it was, so I will spend minutes, you know, looking at my dog and then winking my left eye or winking my right eye and seeing if it does the same thing. And it does. I mean, totally by accident and never, you know, you can never predict it. But, um, but yeah, so if any listeners have been able to, uh, teach their animals to blink, let us know. Anyway, so yeah, the, the, the dude does not blink. I don't, I think it's just, he's a trained actor and he just doesn't blink. So, uh, Kirk goes back to the bar. As he enters, he sees Ariel Shaw sitting at a table and several of the other officers in the room are kind of watching him again don't look happy um i didn't look and see if it's the same officers that were in there before because it really makes me wonder what these guys are doing for starfleet if they're always in the bar but uh well it would be like if you or i were in starfleet that's what our job would be (laughs) so what do you do for starfleet well i'm an officer well yeah and you well i i hang out in the bar to you know make sure everything's okay and sooner or later there'll be a starship that needs a captain or you know somebody on it so uh ariel holds out both of her hands and kirk uh takes her hands and kisses her hands Mm. gentlemanly yeah and then he sits with her and they talk a little bit and uh, he says something like uh I should have felt your presence here like static in the air. He says, you look fabulous. How long has it been? And she says, four years, seven months, and an odd number of days. Not that I'm counting. She said, uh, things have changed for you. And Kirk says he didn't want to talk shop. He's just like really putting on the charm. 
So Dana, she's trying to talk to him seriously about what's going on. She's heard about the court martial. Everyone in the bar knows about the court martial, right? And he just wants to kind of flirt. Yeah. You know, she's telling him that uh, she works for the judge advocate's office and rumors suggest that Kirk is not an innocent man. Mm-hmm. And he asks if she can defend him and she gives him the name of another lawyer who can help him. And when Kirk says, you know, how do you know so much about the prosecution's case? She states, because Jim Kirk, my dear old lawyer. Of, I am the prosecution. Now, Dana, hold on. I've watched enough Law and Order to know that yeah, there's a conflict of interest here. It's and it's unethical to sit and have drinks and talk to the person that you're prosecuting. Yeah, and kind of giving him some suggestions of how the prosecution is going to handle this case. Yeah. And and she says, I will do my very best to have you broken out of the service in disgrace. So Kirk enters his quarters and he finds his room filled with books. And there's a man at his table writing notes. Uh, and the books are everywhere, right? They're on the table, yeah, they're on the chairs, they're on the couch, they're everywhere. So Kirk asks about the books and the man says, don't you like books? And he argues books are where the law is. Do you want to know the law, the ancient concepts in their own language? Learn the intent of the men who wrote them? You have to be either an obsessive crackpot who's escaped from his keeper or a Samuel T. Cogley attorney at law. You're right on both counts. <laughs> Need a lawyer? I'm afraid so. Now, we see this guy, Cogley. He is kind of curmudgeonly, uh, hates technology, uh, but, you know, super passionate about the law. And he even goes over and taps a computer and says, you know, I have one of these, but I never use it. Yeah. And, uh, so, which I found very interesting. Uh, what a great concept. The court martial begins with Commodore Stone presiding. The computer lists off the charges and specifications. Kirk formally pleads not guilty. So Shaw calls uh, Spock to the stand. Spock has a long list of honors and uh, credentials. So the prosecutor starts her questioning, asking if computers can malfunction. And Spock says yes. Then she asks if the computer malfunctioned. And Spock says it is wrong. She's asking Spock if in this instance, did the computer malfunction, right? Yes. And he says the computer, it didn't malfunction, but he says it's wrong, which sets up this like question of how is that even possible? If it's not wrong, then how is it malfunctioning? And she says that uh, that's speculation on your part. Volcanians do not speculate. I speak from pure logic. If I let go of a hammer, I need not see it fall to know that it has, in fact, fallen. Human beings have characteristics. It is impossible for Captain Kirk to act out of panic or malice. It is not his nature. They ask Cogley if he wants to uh, cross-examine. He says no. Uh, they call McCoy to the stand. I was surprised how well-decorated Leonard McCoy is. Yeah, he had a lot they of commendations. I really liked, by the way, these, uh, they were wearing dress uniforms, uh, all the officers, yep. right? And they had these cool little uh, pins that must have been kind of like medals that people in the military would wear now. And I just thought that was really cool. Yeah, I did too. And, I, you know, Kirk has a chest full of medals, uh, Stone does as well. Mm -hmm. So when the computer is done relating all of McCoy's awards and merits and that, Shaw asks, isn't he also an expert in psychology? especially space psychology. And he responds, you know, I know something about it. She asks, 
if Finney could have hated Kirk for being passed over for the promotion, in turn, wouldn't it make sense that Kirk hated Finney? He states, not Captain Kirk. He's not that kind of man. Right. She kind of presses him a little bit more and says, you know, but couldn't this have happened or couldn't this be the case? And he says, it is possible. And again, Cogley has no questions. Which is weird, and right? Com- I mean, he would want, yeah. he would think he'd want to cross examine these people. Commodore Stone asks Cogley why he hasn't cross examined any of the witnesses. And Cogley states he's been waiting to get through this preliminary stuff so he could call Captain Kirk to the stand, which, in my opinion, means he had no clue how a trial works. So the next thing we see is Kirk in the chair, and the computer reads off his record, and it just goes on and on. And the prosecutor concedes that Kirk has an exemplary record. Uh, Cogley states, well, I don't want to slow the wheels of justice too much. But then again, I don't want those wheels to roll over my client. I really love that thought line, was, Dana. Gave me hope that he was a decent lawyer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then the list of commendations continues and finally Cogley stops it. And he asked Kirk directly, was there indeed a red alert before you jettisoned the pod? And Kirk says, yes. Yes, there was. He did not panic under pressure. He says he's, the steps he took were essential to saving the ship. Given the same circumstances, I would do the same thing without hesitation. Because the steps I took in the order I took them were absolutely necessary if I were to save my ship. And nothing is more important than my ship. So the prosecutor plays back a recording of the event. We see Kirk's hand next to a row of buttons on the commander's chair. Yep. Kirk presses the yellow alert button. The storm intensifies. The ship's rocked some. Next, we zoom in on the control panel, and we can see it says yellow alert, red alert, and the next button is jettison pod. Next thing we see is Kirk pushes the jettison pod button. While it's still on yellow alert, apparently. Yes. Didn't push the red alert button. Just pushed the jettison pod. Yep. And they freeze on that image, and everyone seems startled. Even Even Cogley, right? Even Kirk's own lawyer. Ariel Shaw approaches the the bench and states the log plainly shows the defendant pushing the jettison pod button and not the red alert button. The emergency did not yet exist. We go back to Kirk and he quietly says, but that's not the way it happened. Yeah. Yeah, and this is pretty uh, damning evidence, right? It's video evidence. Oh, we can see yeah. it with our own eyes that Kirk presses the jettison pod button before he presses the red alert button. And that was the whole core of his case, that he did not do that. So back in Kirk's quarters, we see Cogley and Kirk discussing the case. And Cogley tells Kirk he could have made a mistake. He says, it's not too late. We could change your plea. And Kirk is looking at him kind of in disbelief. And then uh, Spock calls Kirk and reports that his computer search has yielded no results. Kirk says, who knows? You may be able to beat your next captain at chess. Spock shows a questioning look and says, chess. We kind of get the feeling that something's up here. Yeah, that maybe Spock has some idea of some avenue to pursue. So on the ship, Spock is playing 3D chess. McCoy comes in and says he had to see it for himself. And you're sitting here playing chess with a computer. That is true. Mr. Spock, you're the most cold-blooded man I've ever known. Why, thank you, doctor. 
I love that whole exchange. And uh, Spock says, I'm just about to win my fourth match against the computer. McCoy responds that that's not possible. Spock demonstrates, and he says, mechanically, the computer is flawless. The best I should have been able to attain is a draw. Because he had programmed it. He had programmed the chess game, and so he shouldn't be able to beat the chess game because he programmed it, so it would be a tie. And uh, and yet, he's just beat it four times. And McCoy even understands that's not even possible. There must, there's got to be something wrong here. So back in the courtroom, uh, every everybody's back, and the prosecution rests their case. Cogley says the defense also rests. So Cogley seems like really exasperated. There's nothing he can do. And he's like, well... Yeah, we rest our case too. So then Spock and McCoy enter the courtroom and they speak to Cogley and Kirk. Cogley requests that they adjourn the trial for the moment and uh, says that some new evidence has come into play. Prosecutor says the court is well aware of Mr. Cogley's theatrics. And Cogley goes to her and says, is saving a man's career theatrics? He approaches the bench and says, now we have something human to talk about. Human rights. He says the Bible, the Code of Hammurabi, the Statutes of Alpha 3, Magna Carta, of the U.S. Constitution, he goes on, these documents all speak of rights, most importantly to be confronted by the witness against him. The most devastating witness against my client is a machine. My client has the right to face his accuser. And if you do not grant him that right, you have brought us down to the level of the machine. Indeed, you have elevated that machine above us. I ask that my motion be granted. More than that, gentlemen, in the name of a humanity fading in the shadow of the machine, I demand it. I demand it! So Cogley is going on a rant about machines, but he wants the uh, the court to be adjourned and to reconvene on the ship based on this new information that Spock has just given him. Correct. And Shaw's like, no way, we're not doing that. And the the uh, Commodore Stone agrees that they should go to the ship and, and further the, the investigation and continue the trial there. The court martial reconvenes on the Enterprise. Spock explains why he should only be able to achieve a stalemate against the computer, yet he's states that he beat it five times. Someone has on purpose or accidentally altered the computer. And there's only three people who could alter the computer, the captain, Spock, and the records officer, who is Finney. Now, why? Why? (laughs) So why only those three? Yeah. Don't they have an IT guy? (laughs) Kirk explains that the search they did for Finney was a phase one search, a painstaking effort to find crewmen who is unable to respond. And Cogley notes that as presupposes that the crewman wishes to be found. And Cogley declares, gentlemen, I submit to you that Lieutenant Commander Ben Finney is not dead. I thought this was actually a really good part of the show. Like as far as a trial would go, it's like that evidence that gets given at the last minute that's like the bombshell, right? Yeah. And it, it felt like Cogley was doing something a lawyer should do. Finally. So like finally. Yeah. He was. <laughs> So they, they come up with this way to find Finney, and they determine that he's down on B-deck or near engineering. Kirk orders the area sealed off, and he goes down to find Finney. So in main engineering, Kirk does a search. He's got a phaser. He's walking around looking for Finney, and of course, Finney comes up behind him. Finney goes off and says that the Enterprise should have been his, but that Kirk and Starfleet had conspired to rob him of his own command. Finney aims his phaser at Kirk, but says that Kirk's death would mean too little to the captain, but losing his ship would be far worse. So he says, I've tapped out the primary energy circuits 
and he intends to destroy the ship. So he's done, he's sabotaged the ship in some way, so it goes yeah. into the planet and crashes. And, and at this point, Finney looks crazy. Oh, he does. He's got like a, a really sincere craziness about him. Yeah, I thought this act, this scene actually was really well done, and the actor who played Finney really played it well. Kirk tells Finney that Jamie is on board, and at, when he tells him this, Finney starts crying and Kirk uh, basically jumps him. They knocks the phaser out of his hand. They uh, tumble to the floor. Kirk, of course, gets his shirt ripped. Okay, so th- this part was great. I was really <laughs> hoping that that was going to be the case, and, and it indeed was. Not only does he get his shirt ripped, when Finney is fighting with Kirk, Finney picks up this wrench that just happens to be like sitting on the top of, I, I don't know, some control panel. I, I just can't imagine Scotty would leave that wrench sitting out there. They continue fighting, and finally... Kirk manages to knock Finney out. Mm-hmm. On the bridge, they say that the power is returning and they're able to stabilize their orbit. Commodore Stone goes over to Ms. Shaw and he says, unless the prosecution objects, the court is dismissed. And Shaw smiles up at him and says, absolutely no objections. So later on the bridge, uh, Shaw is standing inches away from Kirk, and it looks like he's just finished uh, like giving her a tour. She asks when she'll if she'll ever see him again. Kirk responds, "That depends on the stars." Then she asks if she kissed a Starfleet captain on the bridge of his ship. Would it cause a complete breakdown in discipline? Kirk kind of smiles at her and says, let's try. They kiss. And then when they break the kiss, he, Kirk kind of looks around the crew. He sees no change. And uh, he says, see, no change. Kirk says goodbye and better luck next time. She responds, she had pretty good luck this time. I lost, didn't I? So Kirk returns to the captain's chair. Spock and McCoy flank him. And Kirk says, uh, she's a very good lawyer. Spock replies, obviously. And McCoy says, indeed she is. And that's how the show ends. So what's the best part for you, Dana? Cogley and his books, his dislike for computers. I, I mean, I think in this, at that time, a real anomaly and just, it sets up a interesting person for Kirk to deal with. What about you? Uh, one of my best parts was Finney's crazed facial expressions when Kirk finds him in engineering. I mean, this guy is a man possessed. I mentioned it earlier. I thought this actor did a great job of just playing crazy. Do you have another best part? Spock's answers to the questions of the, uh, of the process when he was on the stand. He was just great. It just, they were perfect Spock replies. And you got another one? Yeah. When McCoy was really upset that Spock was playing chess and he said to him that you're the most cold-blooded man I've ever known and Spock replies, why, thank you, doctor. <laughs> I just thought that was great. <laughs> I thought that was great. What about a worst part for you? Well, we said we'd get back to this. What the fuck is an ion pod <laughs> and why do they need it? <laughs> Don't they have something they could send out from their ship? Yeah, like that, like a probe know, of some kind. A probe, yeah. So, Dan, do you have a uh, a worst moment? Yeah, Jamie Finney, every scene she was in, horrible. How about another worst part for you? As much as I loved Cogley and the books and the uh, loathing of computers, he sucked as a lawyer. Yeah, he was horrible. <laughs> uh, he was completely unprepared and based his case solely on Kirk's record. Spock's the one that solves the case. Yeah, not a good lawyer. Uh, You're right. Just not a good lawyer. 
So Dana, you wanted to talk a little bit about some of the actors who were in this episode. I want to start off with the person that played Cogley, uh, is Elijah Cook Jr. Many people probably recognize him, think they've seen him in something. This guy was like in movie after movie and TV show after TV show. Uh, just he was everywhere from uh, the late 30s all the way through until he died. Everything from Kolchak the Night Stalker. And he was uh, in the movie The Maltese Falcon. He was in Sergeant York. Well, Dana, so I I recognize this guy. I mean, I when I first saw him, I'm like, I know I've seen this guy. And you're right. I I watched the Maltese Falcon about a year ago. He played the character Woolmer in the Maltese Falcon. He's also in Rosemary's Baby. I mean, he's he was uh, busy for over sixty years. Yeah, it's crazy. Born in 1903. I mean, imagine that. We talked a little bit about uh, Percy Rodriguez, who played Commodore Stone. Usually played, as I mentioned, authoritative figures, including he played a neurosurgeon on the nighttime show Peyton Place, where he was a uh, lead character and a very prestigious character on that show, Uh, which again, you did not see African-American neurosurgeons uh, on regular TV at that time. Yeah, exactly. I I think he, like Nichelle Nichols, probably uh, broke a lot of barriers. Are we ready to move on to the counts, Dan? Yeah, let's go to the counts. Uh, so, Dana, how about the dead crewman count for this week? Well, it's kind of tricky. We start with one, and then there are none. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, it's Finney who died, and yet we find out he was alive. Yeah, he faked his own death, right? Just like Elvis. Yeah. So, um, we've got <laughs> so we've got zero dead. We are still stuck at 25.5. How about the shirtless Kirk rip shirt Kirk count? Yes, we get another uh, rip shirt Kirk. And it was really ripped. Yeah. I mean, this thing was ripped from the collar almost completely down to the uh, to the torso, wasn't it? Yeah, not practically down to his navel, I think. Yep, we so. didn't see the navel. Anyway, uh, so this week we have one. We've got a total of nine. Uh, the he's dead count should be obvious. Zero. Yep, none. So we're stuck at three. I'm a doctor, not a... I thought we had some opportunities for this, Dana, but how many did we have? Not a not one. Not one. You know, I, no. I, I'm, a, I'm a doctor, not a chess master. I thought we could have gotten that easily worked yeah. in. I'm a doctor, not a lawyer. Oh, that would have no, been even no, better, no. right? But yeah. zero this week, so we're stuck at one. And so what about our latest count, Dana, that we just implemented a couple of weeks ago, the supreme being count? There's none. Matter of fact, there's some that are quite the opposite of a supreme being in this. Uh, so Yeah, so zero, uh, we are at four. <laughs> Dana, how about some what happened in history when the show came out? Well, February 2nd, 1967 is when the show aired for the first time. And the Monkees are still at number one in the U.S. and in the U.K. with the song I'm a Believer. That, you know, that's fascinating uh, to me. I mean, the Monkees are kind of an enigma. You know, yes, they were kind of a musical group, but they... They came together not because they like met each other and started playing. They were just cast. A couple times during their career, they knocked the Beatles off the number one spot. Amazing. So. Amazing. So they're still number one uh, when the show uh, yeah. debuted. And I believe that's uh, at least three mm-hmm. weeks that that's happened. Yeah. The American Basketball Association was formed. And uh, a lot of people forget about it. We only have the NBA these days. Ten years later, they would finally merge and uh, join the NBA. Oh, interesting. Next week, Dan, Return of the Akrons. I think it's the Archons. <laughs> it's like Return of the People from Akron, Ohio. <laughs> I mean, you could pronounce it Archons, the Return of the Archons. <laughs> Dana, what do we got going on for next week? Dan, it's Return of the Archons. All right. Well, hey, I had a great time tonight. I'm glad we're back from our little Thanksgiving break, although we still did an episode for Thanksgiving, but 
actually talking about one of the uh, Star Trek episodes. It's been a lot of fun tonight, Dana. As always, Dan, I always have a good time doing this, uh, you know, talking about Star Trek, hanging out with you. It's a great way to spend an evening. And our wives think it's a great way too, because they don't have to deal with us for, <laughs> as it turns out now, two and a half hours. Our listeners are probably thinking, thank God we don't have to listen to the two and a half hours of these guys. <laughs> I bet you there's some listeners out there that are probably like, you know, I feel like I'm missing some of the humor that these guys have. <laughs> Little do they know. Little do they know. All right, Dana, enjoy the rest of your week, and I'll see you next week. All right, have a good one, Dan. As always, live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Dammit Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook or Twitter. Make sure to join us next week for the return of the Archons. For Dan and Dana, have a great rest of your weekend and remember to live long and prosper.